0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this message that the Lord has given us called The King is Coming. How many of you know that the Lord is going to return? Amen. This is, this is the most anticipated day that you could ever look forward to is the return of the Lord. Amen. This should be the very thing that we are like living for, we are waiting for, we are anticipating in our hearts. This is better than Christmas. Amen. I don't know, I don't know about you or I don't know if you, you remember, but you know, when, when, when I was a little kid, you know, I used to love to get up early. And, and I, I, you know, stay awake as long as I could because I was anticipating, you know, waking up on Christmas and seeing that there was going to be a bunch of presents, you know, hopefully under the tree. And I remember, you know, I was a little kid, but I would stay up as late as I could. And now I'm one of those kind of people that doesn't do very well staying up late. I'm, I'm a guy that actually likes to wake up real early. So it's hard for me to stay awake, you know, past you know, back then it was probably like eleven o'clock or, you know, midnight or something. That was like super challenging. But I always loved, you know, that anticipation of knowing that, you know what, something awesome was about to happen, something special was gonna happen. I'd open my eyes, you know, in the morning and you know, the 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 the, the Sun would still be down and it would be dark, but the living room would be lit up with Christmas, you know, Christmas lights and the Christmas tree would be lit up and there would be, you know, presents under the tree that it was like, oh man, you know, and you, you go and you look and you try to find your name and you want to see, you know, if the big box is yours and, you know, you, you come with anticipation. That kind of anticipation that you could have for a present or a gift pales in comparison to the anticipation and the desire and the joy that should be in the hearts of every believer for the return of Jesus. It should pale in comparison. I got a lot of gifts when I was a kid. I thank God for my parents. I thank God for the things that they blessed us with. And, you know, they max out credit cards and, you know, work extra hours, you know, to get us those things that we wanted as children. But guess what? Those things, you know, some of those toys, you know, I'll I'll never forget. I got my first uh, RC car, you know, and back then they had the little remote RC stands for remote control. And, you know, just for those of you that don't know. (laughs) But I I, I had wanted an RC car. And, and, and back then, I remember, you know, uh, you know, I put it on the list or whatever, and I was waiting for my parents to get me this RC car, and, and they got me an RC car. And I don't know, you know, for those of you that are older than me or those of you that are younger than me, I grew up in the, in the 80s. You know, I was an 80s kid. I was born in 82. So growing up, you know, I wanted this, this RC car. And, and, you know, I must have been six or seven years old wanting this car. And we get this car. And we, we, you know, we got it. And then, like, I read the instruction manual, and it says it's one of those ones that has this big battery pack that you have to charge for, like, 12 hours. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. You know, I got the RC car, but now I got to plug it in and charge it for, like, 12 hours, you know, so I can't even use it today. You know, I got to wait till the next day. So I plug it in, and it stays plugged in all night, and it's, like, ready to go, and it's, you know, I'm super excited to use it the next day. So then I get it out the next day, and it's like, all right, let's go, and I feel like I'm going to spend the entire day playing with my new race car. And the thing lasts for, like, 10 minutes, (laughs) and the battery dies out, and it's just like, you know, and I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. And then you can just kind of hear it getting progressively slower. And, you know, whatever, and it, and it ended up dying out, and then I had to charge it for another 12 hours. Biggest bummer of my life. You know, there's a lot of things that we can pursue and desire and seek after in this world, but nothing, nothing is eternal like spending eternity in the presence of the Lord. Nothing will we'll be able to measure up. We could gauge anything in this life that would be in comparison to spending the rest of our eternity with Jesus. Spending the rest of our eternity with the one whom we love. Spending the rest of our eternity with the one who is seated on the throne. Amen. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. Are you? Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 says, And then the lawless one will be revealed. We've been going over these verses slowly over the last couple of weeks. It says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, And destroy by the splendor of his coming. Let's pray for the word tonight. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. And we pray right now, Holy Spirit, in this time as we open your word, that you would speak loudly to our hearts, Lord. Father, just just minister to us, Holy Spirit. I pray that every word that comes straight from the, the throne room of heaven, Father. And let my words, Father, fall to the ground, Lord Jesus. Let our spirits, our hearts be attentive, Father God, ready to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage of scripture that we read, it's describing the return of Jesus and the coming of the Lord. And the beautiful thing, because we talked about the the lawlessness last week, we're kind of looking at, you know, if you could cut this verse in half where that comma is, and it says, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow. This is the part that we're looking at tonight. And I want us to notice something, how quick work of the Antichrist that the Lord will make of him. It doesn't say that there's going to be this long, rigorous battle. It doesn't say that there's going to be this, this fight for the ages. It's not going to be, you know, rocky, you know, or anything like that. It clearly says, the scripture, it says that the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Satan has never been a match for Jesus. The enemy has never been a match for the Lord. Amen. He has never been a match for the Lord, and we have to understand this, church, that it's not going to be some kind of epic back and forth, this arm wrestle that's going to happen, but the Lord Jesus is Lord. And there will be a day that when he returns, he will prove it once and for all. Once and for all, the Bible says that he will overthrow the enemy in the Antichrist. And so tonight I want us to understand and look at two main points, and the Scripture writes them out for us. But number one is this, the power of his word. The power of his word. Did you know that the Antichrist poses zero threat to the Lord? Zero threat. You know, we we talk about in Revelation and we talk about the Antichrist and we talk about the mark of the beast and we talk about all these things and, and Christians get scared. They're like, oh, man, ooh, the mark of the beast, and, and they, they, they get fearful. And, and I have to, you know, let you know that, that we're never supposed to fear what the enemy is capable of doing because we truly place all of our faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're, we're not supposed to be like, oh, man, you know, that's a scary time. But it will be scary for some. It will be scary for those who have not trusted in the power of his word. It will be scary for those who refuse to love truth. Amen? It will be scary for those who say, you know what? I don't want to agree with what the word of God says. It will be scary for those that say, I don't want to live for Jesus. I don't want to surrender my life to him. It will be scary for them. But for us, church, it's victory. For you and me, it is victory. Amen? And so the Antichrist is zero threat to the Lord. The power of the Antichrist is as a drop of water in the ocean. It's non-existent. It is non-existent. It's it's nothing in comparison to the power that the Lord possesses in himself. The Lord Jesus will slay the Antichrist with the spirit of his mouth. The Greek word there is breath. It's pneumati. The spirit of the living God. What is the spirit of Jesus' mouth? It is the spirit of truth, holiness, and unlimited power. So when Jesus returns truth, and holiness and unlimited power, they flow out of his mouth and they destroy the enemy. Can I catch you up to speed just a little bit? You know, any that you are facing a battle, a rigorous ongoing battle with the enemy, what are the very things that you need? You need truth. Why? Because truth dispels every lie. If there is no truth, the enemy will have his way in your life. The enemy will be able to just, you know, plant these seeds of, you know, confusion and lies and and all kinds of false stuff. Holiness. Why does holiness need to exist? Because a holy God is like light. And light destroys darkness. Amen. And unlimited power because it's proof that the enemy doesn't have any power. Can I remind you, church, you know, I think sometimes we give the enemy way too much credit. But I heard it said this way one time in in 1 Peter chapter 5, you know the verse that talks about, you know, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I heard this guy say it this way. He says, it says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, but it doesn't say he has teeth. On that day when Eve was deceived, she lent him her authority. Believe the lie, empower the liar. You believe the lies of Satan and you empower Satan to work in your life. But the Bible says that the spirit of truth and holiness and unlimited power, it flows from the breath of God. When Jesus speaks and he says he's of God, that is an unstoppable force, church. That is an unstoppable force. When he rends the sky to slay the Antichrist, there will be no battle. For all of the forces of heaven and earth combined would be as non-existent against the Lord God of this universe. There would be non-existence. Christ will speak the word and the Antichrist will be slain. Simple as that. Amen. It'll be like the blowing of a little breath and the dust particle is removed never to return. Leon Morris said this. He says that the emphasis is the ease of which the Lord will destroy the lawless one. This is what the scripture is emphasizing. Terrible though he will be, it will be done with ease. It will be done with ease. There was this commentary that reads like this. The words are to be literally taken as a description of the power and the irresistible might of Christ at his return. At the mere breath of his mouth, it is sufficient to consume the wicked. Scripture proves the power of the word of God. Job chapter 4 and verse 9 it says, at the breath of God, they are destroyed, and at the blast of his anger, they perish. Do you serve a powerful God? Amen. <laughs> Psalms 18 and verse 15 says, The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, and at the blast of breath from your nostrils. I love this verse. Isaiah 11 and 4 says, But with righteousness, he will judge. The needy, and with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. You see, the Lord is powerful, and the Lord doesn't have to get ready for battle with with the Antichrist. There is no battle because he will automatically be destroyed with the very breath that flows from the mouth of God. His word is powerful. Amen. If you're discouraged, if you're worried, if you need hope, if you need direction, comfort, if you need correction, doesn't matter what it is that you need. The word of God is the most powerful substance that we possess in our life. The word of God is the most powerful substance that we possess in our life. It's all in his word. Whatever it is that you need, it's in his word. It's found in his word. His word is deliverance. His word is truth. His word is hope. His word is life. I love this verse in Revelation chapter 19. It talks about the Lord. And it talks about his return. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. It says, with justice he judges and he wages war. It says, his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe that is dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. His name is the word of God. It says the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And it says coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. The Lord is glorious and the Lord is is awesome and the Lord is powerful. And when the Lord speaks, church, the Bible says that there's a sword that comes out from his his mouth to strike down the nations that didn't choose him. To strike down the wicked that did not, you know, that that did not want to follow him. He is a righteous judge, amen. I love what it says. His writer is called faithful and true and with justice he judges and he wages war. But the word of God, I love how it said his name is the word of God. You see, a lot of times we like to separate things and put things into categories because that's how we understand. But he's all of it. Amen. It's not like, oh, just something he said that, you know, it exists by itself. No, it is him. Amen. It is him. It flows from his being. It's who he is. So no devil in hell, no, no demonic, you know, you know, force, no beast, you know, antichrist could rise from the earth, will be able to be, you know, you know, risen to such power that the breath of God cannot destroy. That the breath of the mighty God cannot destroy, church. I love that. I'm thankful in my life that our Savior wins. I'm thankful that I'm trusting in the one who wins. So I don't know if you've ever met an atheist or, or, you know, somebody that's a Satanist, but, you know, you might want to read them the end of the story. <laughs> They're not going to win. They're not going to win. They can choose to not believe, but the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that who? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. But as much as a a powerful, you know, benefit that the word of God can be for our life, as much as the word is our strength and it's our hope, equally, it can destroy those who fail to trust and believe in the Son of God. It will destroy their life. It will ultimately be the deciding truth that those who refuse to believe it will have to answer to. Matthew chapter 12 says... This in verse 35, the good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Verse 37 says, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Amen. It will be a shame on that day, church, that, you know, when the Lord returns, when the Lord comes back, you know, that there might be even those that said, oh, well, I went to church. Oh, Pastor Duke, I attended a Bible study or or God, you know, I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Oh, Jesus, you know, I, I, I knew that you had called me, you know, to do something with my life. You know, there was purpose and the Lord found no good. Imagine the Lord Jesus returns and he finds no good. He doesn't find the word stored up in your life. Because the word is him. He doesn't find him in your life. He doesn't see himself in you. He finds them lifeless without the word of God in him. Imagine when the Lord returns and he, he finds vessels that were created for his glory. Vessels that were set apart for his good purposes. But yet he doesn't find himself in them. It will be a sad day for those people, amen? And so we need to trust in the word of God, amen? We need to hold fast to the word of God and remember the promises of the Lord and seek the wisdom that only the word of God is able to give us because it's all in his word, amen? It's all in his word. I remember in some of the most challenging times of my life, you know, things that you know, I never thought I would go through or have to go through. But in the most challenging times that I've ever faced in my life, from at one time being homeless to at another time being abandoned by people to another time being sick, whatever it was, it was always the word of God that brought me back to life. It was always in those deepest, darkest moments where, where the enemy is trying to just, you know, berate your mind with, with evil thoughts to give up on the Lord or to stop following Jesus or to want to even take your life. It's in those moments where the, the deepest, darkest, you know, evil is trying to prevail in your life and you hear the word because you have the word stored up in your life. You see, when you know the word of God and you have read the word of God and you've stored up the word of God, the Bible says that it becomes a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. It becomes that very thing that you need that when it's dark and it's dim and it seems hopeless, all of a sudden that light shines in the darkness. And you're able to follow the one who's called you by name. Psalms 18 and verse 1 says this. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. He says, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He said, and I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. How many of you know Jesus like that? Amen. Amen. You know him that way. But I can tell you right now, church, that me nor you would have ever found any peace in the storms that you have faced in life without the word. Because it was the word that calmed the storm. It was the very voice of Jesus that said, peace, be still. The word of God is powerful. The breath of God is powerful. Psalms 34 is probably one of my favorite chapters and. This particular verses are probably one of my favorite verses that I've ever had. But Psalms 34, verse 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. It doesn't say he just hears anybody. It does say he hears the righteous, though. Amen? He hears the righteous crying out, and the Lord hears them. It says he delivers them from what? From all of their troubles. Not a portion of their troubles, all of them. All of them. I can say this to the glory of the name of the Lord, that the Lord has delivered me from all of my troubles. There's not one thing that, that you know, was left behind. It's like, oh, man, you know, well, that thing kind of stayed behind. But he gave me this, so, you know, it worked out. No, no, no. He has delivered me from all of my troubles. Some of you didn't even see me like an hour ago, but like I had like a splitting headache. I couldn't even talk. I talked to Alizma and, you know, she saw me. She, she knew I was going through something and, and the worship team, they prayed for me and stuff like that. And, and I didn't even think I was going to function tonight. Seriously, you, you guys saw me. They're laughing because they know that Jesus healed me. <laughs> but when the enemy, yeah, give the Lord praise. When the enemy tries to afflict our life the lord delivers us from it all it doesn't matter what he does it doesn't matter the timing in which he does it it doesn't matter if it's you know at the the worst possible timing you know what trust me i knew i wanted to preach the word of god to you tonight amen but the enemy is like you know what like i'm gonna just give you boogers and i'm gonna try to make your life miserable and give you a headache and all kinds of stuff and it's like you know what lord i trust in you i trust in you lord God, if, if, if you are promising that you are going to raise my life from a grave or raise me from this earth, surely, God, you can take a headache away. Amen. Surely, God, nothing is impossible for you, Lord. So when I call out to you, you deliver me from all of my troubles. It goes on to say in verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Man, I've been brokenhearted at times. You've been brokenhearted at times. Times where you were crushed in your life, crushed by by the words of somebody or crushed by the actions of something or or whatever the case. But it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Every time I was brokenhearted, every time I thought it was done, it was over, I felt the embrace of God. I felt the Lord embrace my life and pick me up and and clean me and, and bring me back to him. Just this morning, I'm sitting in my office and, you know, I'm I'm in prayer and I'm just asking the Lord to, to speak to my heart and, and I hear a song that just absolutely just, I, I, I told somebody that it broke me down and built me up at the same time. That's who he is. He's the only one that can like, Tear off that the, the stuff in our life that's causing the weariness or the heaviness or the, or the whatever. And, and at the same moment as God is just like taking those things off, he's building us up and he's strengthening us in him. He's reinforcing our faith. I don't know how he does it, but he's, he's awesome. It says he's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, you don't drift off and you don't wander when, you're, when your heart is broken. The Lord saves you. It says, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Every single one. You probably had many troubles in your life, but guess what? He will deliver you from them all. This is a promise of the Lord. When I was lost in sin and guilt and shame, the word of the Lord restored myself back to him. The very word of God. Reminded me that I was called, reminded me that I was chosen, reminded me that I was a son of the most high God. It's only from the word. Amen. There is power in the word of God. And we need to be amongst those that trust in this power and not those that oppose it. We need to be those that trust in the truth of the word of God and not those that are, you know, saying, oh, Lord, I want your will for my life. But, you know, the moment that the word challenges us, we're like, oh, but not that. Oh, but not that, Lord. We like to leave out verses like 2 Timothy 3.16. Anybody know what 2 Timothy 3.16 says? (laughs) All scripture is profitable, and it's what? The version that I know, Gloria and I know it a little different. All scripture is useful. It's given so that what? For training, correcting, rebuking, and righteousness. Yeah. The the scripture actually says that all scripture is God-breathed. That's actually how it starts. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So I forgot. All scripture is God breathed. So what is it telling you? It's all for us. But guess where it came from? His mouth. <laughs> and there's life from there. But at the same moment, that place that gives us life is able to destroy the one that opposes it. From that same mouth, the Lord is able to just destroy the enemy. Secondly, tonight, we need to realize that the the power of the glory of God, the power of his glory and the power of his splendor. 2 Thessalonians uh, uh, 2 and 8 again says, The Lord Jesus will overthrow, this is the lawless one, this is the Antichrist, he will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Other passages or other versions of this passage use the word brightness. And so the Lord of glory will destroy the Antichrist with the brightness of his appearing, the brightness of his return. And so it's a special word because this word in 2 Thessalonians is only used in reference to the return of the Lord. It's not used in any other context, but it's only used in reference to the coming of the Lord. And so the whole idea Of brightness and splendor and radiance and glory and light is because somebody said it this way when they pointed out that when Jesus returns to the earth, there will be such a spectacular display of glory and splendor that the explosion of every star in the universe could not match the sight of the Lord. How many of you like shooting stars? anybody ever seen a shooting star right you know you're out there and you know you're around the campfire or, or maybe you're not I don't know maybe you're just in your backyard or whatever or you're driving down the road you know with your family and and I love those moments where you, where you you look up to to the heavens and all of a sudden phew, you see it just fly across oh man you know and it catches your attention you know for just that split second that it's you know going through the sky and this author wrote it out. He said that the return of the Lord is going to be the most spectacular display that you could ever imagine, that more than every star created just exploding at the same time, like it's going to be better than any finale of fireworks you've ever seen. You know how you always wait to the end, you know, you wait to that last, you know, when you start to hear the boom, 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 and all of a sudden, you know, they're going off just one after the other, one after the other, and it's a beautiful display of, of lights and colors. The glory of the Lord and the splendor of his return will be more majestic than even that. You know how they show that camera view sometimes like a, they'll show like a city like L.A., you know, on New Year's Eve, and you just see like the... The fireworks going off all across the city and, you know, just for miles and miles, you just see explosions. That's nothing. That's one little city. The glory of God, the the splendor of his return is going to be the most amazing thing that you've ever witnessed in your life. When Christ appears, there will be apparently an energizing, you know, almost laser beam of the glory of God that the enemy will be immediately destroyed by the radiance of him. Immediately, the most bright, the most you know, you know, a splendor, most glorious thing will annihilate the enemy. He just shows up and the enemy's poof, he's gone, he's destroyed. And I picture like a mirror you know reflecting the sun, and it's reflecting that sun, and, and it's just it's pointed, it's so focused. That what happens, you know, if you point, you know, you get the sun and you point a mirror and you you point it at the grass or something, it's going to catch the grass on fire. Because it's like this, this purity of light. The glory of the return of the Lord will be a zillion times more than that. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by what? His powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of of the majesty in heaven. Jesus, when he returns, he is what? He is the radiance of the glory of God. This is why we worship Jesus. Amen? He is the radiance of all that God is. He is, I love the scripture, it says he is the exact representation of his being. They're not separate. The world's trying to make them separate. Oh, Jesus just loved everybody. Jesus just got along with everybody. Jesus was just nice. Jesus was just trying to bring peace. Jesus is like, hey man, let's all sit around the table and eat together. Look, I got a toga and sandals on and a beard and long hair, you know, like we're, we're just hippies together. People have portrayed Jesus into their own image of who they think he is, but he's not who they think he is. He's not some hippie that's like we went rogue, you know, in the, in the first, you know, years of the existence of the earth. He is not that. He is not just this, oh, I love everybody kind of guy and I just tolerate every kind of thing. No, he is the exact representation of his father. Everything that he said and did represented the Father perfectly. I heard it this way Jesus is perfect theology. He is perfect theology. What you saw him say and what you saw him do and the, what the Bible records, the way that he lived and what he did, is an exact representation of who the Father is. So when he returns, it may not be what people were expecting. Jesus is going to show up and we're all going to sing Kumbaya. No, 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 my friend. No, 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 my friend. The Bible says with the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming, the enemy is going to be destroyed. That's who Jesus is. A righteous judge. His glory is powerful. And on that day, he will make the Antichrist the biggest opposition, powerless and inactive by the presence of his glory. John G. Lake said this, The glory of God is as destructive of evil as it is creative of good. The glory of God is as destructive of evil as it is creative of good. I believe that we should all long for the glory of God to be active in our life. Amen? I believe that we should all long to desire to see the Lord and and, and be filled with the presence of the glory of God on a daily basis. We sang a song right now, show us your glory, Lord. I didn't even know that song was going to be played tonight, but I have this in my notes. In Exodus 33, chapter 18, Moses prayed this out, and he said, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. Moses had a bold but humble request when he asked the Lord to show him his glory. What did Moses want? He wanted a greater knowledge of who God was. He wanted an intimate, warmer fellowship with God. He wanted a more intimate communion with the Lord in that moment, a deeper experience of the glory of God. He's like, Lord, show me something I haven't seen. I know you. We've talked on Mount Sinai a couple times, you know, and, and we've had, you know, fellowship, Lord, but show me your glory. Take me behind that, that, that curtain into the Holy of Holies. I want to know who you are. In all of that you are. And listen to what the Lord says about that hunger and that craving after him. The Lord promised him even more than what was asked in Exodus 33 verse 19. It says, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. He said, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. By goodness, it's meant that all that God is. When we talk about how God is good, it's because it encompasses God in a word. What does that mean? The goodness of God is his love. Amen? It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his holiness. It's his justice. See, when God executes justice and judgment upon evil, he is good. He is good. Why? Because he doesn't lie. He tells the truth. When God is going to execute judgment against all evil, he is good because he is good on his promise. He said he would and he will fulfill what he has said he is good because he writes the wrongs and the evil done to people and to his own name the person seeks to the person who seeks to know more and more of the Lord will receive just what the Lord promised Moses a revelation of his goodness a revelation of his goodness the Lord promised to reveal his name to Moses in Exodus 33 and 19 God's name is the Lord Jehovah Yahweh. This is his name, the God of revelation, salvation and deliverance and redemption, the God who is the great I am, the very source of essence and energy of the force of God and the being of God himself and the person that seeks to know him more and more of the Lord will learn the name of the Lord in all its meaning. When you seek to know the name of the Lord and you seek to know him this way, he will become your salvation. He will become your deliverer. He will be your healer. He will be your strong tower. He will be your refuge. He will be your peace. He will be your strength. He will be everything that his name encompasses in your life. You see, if you don't know him that way, then you don't know him at all. You really don't know him at all because I know him as deliverer. I know him as healer. I know him as salvation. I know him as strength. He's fulfilled every part of his being in my life. Because I know who he is. He said that he would reveal his name to Moses, the great I am. The God of revelation, salvation, deliverance, and hope. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. The Lord God promised to show mercy and compassion upon his people. This was another promise he gave to Moses. That it was to reveal himself as he willed and as he desired. He's saying in that scripture that he would have compassion upon him and he would reveal himself as Moses had requested. Now that verse, it's a declaration of the sovereignty of God. That is to have mercy and compassion as he desires and as he wills. There was only to be one restriction for Moses or anyone else's request to see the glory of God. And that was this. Is Exodus 33 and verse 20 says this. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The brilliance of the glory and the splendor of God is so much that it will kill a man. I don't know about you, but if you guys know anything about welding, you know, like the people that make this stick to that. Welders have to wear a mask, right? And the reason they have to wear a mask is because that, that you know, the rod that they're welding and the, and the metal and all the stuff that they're doing, it, it, the, the light is so bright, it's so intense that it will actually burn your eye. So the welders have to have a mask on when they're looking at what they're doing to protect their eyesight so that they can see what they're doing, but it doesn't destroy their eyesight, right? And the glory of God, I believe, is, is very much the same. It's so intense that you cannot see God and live. You can experience the passing by of the Lord, amen? And even that's like too much to handle sometimes, Even that's so intense, it's so powerful, it's so moving that it's like, man, you know, God shows up and you're just like, How many of you know what I'm talking about, amen? Like, Like the glory of the Lord, he just shows up and all of a sudden, you know, you're like a pancake on the ground. Like you cannot move because the weightiness of the glory of God has shown up. His blazing holiness, his righteousness, his purity would consume a person far quicker than the intense energy and brilliance of the sun. Think about that. And so God would not allow Moses nor anyone else in the universe to see his face. But the Lord did answer Moses' prayer in verse 21. It says, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, he says, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. You see, the Lord would only show Moses what he could bear. Sometimes we cry out to God, show me your glory, but you know what? It could actually destroy you. We don't even know what we're asking for sometimes. The most intense experience that I ever had with the Lord was in this room. And it was right in that area where like Sister Irene and my brother are sitting And I'll never forget the Lord moving in such a powerful way that my words won't even be able to describe it well for you. But I remember exactly who was there, and I remember that we called upon the Lord. And when we called upon the Lord, it was like a weight just pressed us down. And there was five men... And we're praying. And this was many, many, many years ago. But as we began to pray, all I can remember of the encounter with the Lord was presence, weight, a cloud. And it's what I believe the scripture teaches us is as the Shekinah glory. The fullness of the presence of God. And what's so mind-boggling to me, because I'm sure that some of you have had, you know, similar experiences with the Lord where you really felt the presence of God in a super strong way is this. Is that the Lord just gave me a portion of himself. The Lord's just like, you know, and I'm like you know, like, you know, just under the glory of God, you know, just wiped out, you know, and, and but you know what I'm saying? like like it was it's more than you can handle and it's like oh lord show me your glory and god's like you don't want to know all of it you don't want to know all of it I go, the whole land is destroyed you know but we do desire to know the lord to have his goodness pass in front of us, amen, to have his presence move about us in a special way. But what Moses experienced was so powerful that he could describe it only as the scripture states in these three simple verses. He said, the Lord told Moses to stand on a particular rock. When I was reading through this again, it just reminded me that, you know, we stand on Jesus, amen. Jesus is our rock, Amen. Matthew sixteen eighteen. The Bible says that He is the rock that we stand on, and whom He will build His church, Amen. He He is He is the foundation of our life is the foundation of our belief amen and and it goes on to say that the Lord put Moses in a cleft in the rock that word cleft means like an opening or a crack and and I was reminded of this verse in Colossians 3 and 3 that says for you died and your life is now hidden with hidden uh hidden with Christ in God it says for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God And I picture that exactly as Moses, the Lord, you know, put Moses in this crack in the rock. You see, he wasn't just on the rock. He was on a rock, but he was in the rock also. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. There was a burial that happened in your your spirit when you became born again with the Lord. The, The Lord just, you know, he fused you together with his son and he buried you in the rock. So you are fused together with the presence of God for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're in the cleft of the rock. And then it says that God covered Moses with the very hand of God himself. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, what covers us now? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Amen. The first John chapter one and verse seven says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, the covering of the hand of God is the blood of Jesus that was spilled for your life. And then it says that God removed his hand at some point and Moses saw some faint, hazy image of the back of the Lord. And I was reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 15. It says, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What is a veil? It's a covering, right? It's what the the, the bride, you know, wears, and they got it on their face, and they, you know, they reveal all their beauty and their glory. But it says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the lord's glory and we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the lord who is the spirit so just like the lord answered moses prayer then so the lord can answer your prayer now Amen. amen so the lord can answer our prayers now when we say show us your glory lord show us your glory lord Keep us firmly planted, O oh God, on the rock, on the cornerstone of our faith, who is Jesus. Continue to reveal your precious Son to us, to hide us in the shadow of your wings, Lord Jesus, so that we have life through your Son. And let your blood wash over our lives and wash over all of our sin and transform us into the image of the Son of God. That the very blood of God, the Bible says in Hebrews, it talks about how the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, it speaks a better word than that of Abel. You remember the story, Cain killed Abel, and what happened? His blood cried out from the ground. But the Bible says that the blood of Jesus, it doesn't cry out from the ground for justice, or it doesn't cry out from the ground, you know, because of some evil act. It cries out upon your life because it speaks on your behalf. It speaks on your behalf that when the enemy says, you're just a sinner, you're condemned, you're rotten, you're going to hell. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks on our behalf. Those that are covered in the blood of Jesus have the blood interceding for us on a day and night basis. The blood that is sprinkled over our body that has washed us, renewed us, regenerated us in the presence of God. That is what is speaking to the throne room of heaven on your behalf. And God says, that's my son, Satan. That's my daughter, Satan. Get your hands off of their life because they belong to me. My blood speaks on their behalf. The blood of my, pure, my precious son, my pure son, it speaks on their behalf. I pray that we would long to see and to know and to experience the glory of God until he returns. Because those moments, those tastes that the Lord gives us now They're just appetizers. I love appetizers, but guess what? It's not the meal. It's not the meal. It's just a little taste. It's just a little bit that keeps us hungry. It keeps us longing for the great banquet that will be set before us where we'll be able to sit with the eternal one forever. And everything that your heart has ever longed for will be fully satisfied in the presence of the Lord. Fully satisfied in the presence of the Lord. I want us to pray tonight. I'm just thankful for the Holy Spirit tonight. Right there where you are, just just make an altar. i just want you to just just call out to the lord don't get tired of desiring more of him don't get tired of seeking after him more don't get weary in the waiting like pastor said don't don't get tired of of you saying oh lord when are you going to return when are you going to come lord But let your heart be open, let your heart be sensitive, let your heart just take you back to that place when you met the Lord and when you've experienced His goodness and He He allowed His goodness to pass in front of you and that taste, just that little appetizer that you got, just let it remind you, let it keep you holding on, let it keep you holding on, let it keep you hungering and desiring after Him because He's coming again and He's going to return.